It's time to get on on the town with Shoop Shepherd and Johnny Boisher, bringing you a fresh take on all the beats and eats in and around the Seattle area. It's a thriving nightlife out there, and Johnny Boisher and Shoop Shepherd will help you find out where to go in this happening city. And now, here are your hosts, Johnny Boisher and Shoop Shepherd. Hey, how is everybody today? What a beautiful day in paradise again. A little windy, but nice nonetheless. I'm Shoop Shepherd, and this is Out on the Town, Seattle's premier restaurant and entertainment talk show. And across from me, my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, my brother from another mother, Johnny Boisher. Shoopy doop, how are you? How, how are you, John? Can, can you really, can, honestly, can you stop doing that? Saying you don't, you don't I, want I don't do want that. the shoopy doop. Okay. I'm okay. Gonna, what do you want me to call? I'm gonna, I'll do it to you. No, no, no. But you I'll did, do it to you. That's fine. You call me JB all the time. I don't like that. You don't like JB? No, I don't. Why? I like Johnny Boisher. All right. Or so I'll, I'll stick with Johnny Boisher and you just stick with I'll sh- stick with Shoop. 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 Shoop Shepherd. Johnny Boisher. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you, this uh, one issue has been sticking uh, on your agenda for quite some time, My, myself included. Yeah. The minimum wage increase and the response of restaurants to it, the minimum wage uh, looking to be $15 minimum by 2018. It just went up to 11 on April 1st. Not for everybody, though. I mean, it, right. there's three different four schedules, they right. call them, depending on your employee numbers, 500 or fewer employees. Uh, you have to be $10 by by April 1st, you had to be up to $10. Mm-hmm. And if you have more than uh, 500 you had to be up to $11. Which somebody like Tom Douglas, the esteemed chef of many restaurants in Seattle, had put a blog out there that he was going to charge a 2% surcharge on the menu for the additional money he had to pay his employees. Then he retracted that and said, no, he won't do that. And then you have Ivar's. Another restaurant right. that, that has gone to a straight $15 an hour and got rid of tips, which yeah. I think is asinine. It's, yeah. What, I, 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 the, the way these people are, are complaining about this, it's just absolutely crazy. Now, when I had my place, there was a minimum wage and a separate minimum wage for waiters. And, you know, because you would adjust for the tips and you'd assume that yeah, they were making when you Your minimum wage was like two bucks. What? No, when I was back a, in New York, when I was a waiter. But no, uh, when I was a waiter, it was like two thirty-five. Yeah, two thirty-five for a waiter. Yeah, and then you would rely on your tips. And you Such that they paid you, got away with paying you nothing. Tips. The restaurants. But we, no, because they had to pay, and then they tax adjust. Nonetheless, two thirty-five was nothing. They're now they're giving a decent, decent wage on top of the tips. Which is fair for the the hardworking staffs of these restaurants. But here's the you know. But here's the basic point: we live in a capitalist society. Everybody wants to be capitalist. You know, you can't say, okay, let's revert all the prices back to 1984, freeze them, and then you know, promise never to raise any prices, and you know, and that way there'll never be a wage increase. But you can't. I mean, you can't hold that many. You can't run a coffee shop and have a bunch of people working for you that can't afford to have a cup of coffee in your shop. That's just not appropriate. I mean, FDR in 1938, when he brought in the minimum wage, he said, you know, we do not have no business should be in existence that has employees that are making less than a living wage. And so I, I actually found these statistics, which is it's pretty amazing. In 1938, a house cost three thousand nine hundred dollars. If you adjust it for inflation, Back then, it would have been sixty-four thousand dollars, but in the in actuality, the price is two hundred and forty-five thousand dollars. 
So we're actually making less now in terms of buying power than people did in the middle of the Depression. <laughs> it's insane. I mean, these people, you know, if you, you've got a business, the idea is to grow, you want to grow your business, you can't leave out a whole bunch of people, so just raise your prices. That's what happens. The University of Washington's making $11 an hour, the flat fee for uh, students. What? Yeah. Working. Yeah, they're, at the they're, university, they were originally were not going to include student uh, student jobs, but and then on the restaurant front, though, I don't like the way the restaurants react and don't pass the buck on to the customer. Because let me tell you something: the prices of restaurants in Seattle right now is pretty high, probably top five at least the, in America. You know, but the the buck is going to be passed on to the customer anyway. Well, uh, they're going to see they're going to see customers going the down. Is. Then customers are going to start stop going out as no, much. No, they're not. They're they already ne- at like twenty eight dollars on the average for like a dinner in this they're town. Never, That's too much. They're not going to stop going. You were just out. talking about how the middle income people aren't making enough. They're not going to be able to afford these restaurant prices. They can't as it is. Well, you have to start by raising the minimum a- wage so that the work people who are working have more buying power. I don't want to see restaurants pass the, passing the bucks on to the customers. Their, their, their menu prices, with the sales tax of, what, 9% is already high enough. Yeah, but everything's going up. It's, it's too much. I'm, they're, they're, I'm going to have to just you know start eating at McDonald's or something. But you have to look at the logic of it. It's if too you, much money. Every, but You're going to have a top up? three dinner menu here then, you know, in the country. Then, then maybe we should revert to communism you don't, and have you don't, all you don't fixed think the dinner, You don't think the restaurant menus are already pricey enough? They're going to go up to, to compensate for minimum wage increases? Listen, I, my restaurant was in one of the most expensive areas of the entire country. All of my customers were either millionaires or billionaires. You know... It does, but you know your point being all I'm saying is that you know prices here are not they're not high nearly what I'm used to but they're high I mean they're really you they're have to spend at least 50 bucks that's to go what out you do to grow the economy inflation is just part of how mm. things work and then when the crash came there were no millionaires there were only billionaires I mean, you know, and you can't survive on six customers. I think Ivar's... No matter how rich they I th- are. I think the restaurant Ivar's is, is crazy to, to not allow tips. Because a tip is the incentive for a waiter to really get into his job or her job and do good work. And, and, and by the way, you upsell the liquor and wine to get your better tips. It's, it's That's ca- not going to happen. It's kind of like working in a union shop. Like uh, when I worked at the Harvard uh, Faculty Club. You know, they didn't tip. You're working in a union shop, and people didn't do their job. I mean, yeah, it just, becomes like you know, a because soci- you're going to get paid anyway. A socialist so. restaurant environment where it, why why work harder or try to upsell food and, and and liquor and wine when it doesn't affect your overall income? Yeah, working for. I think it's going to backfire on them, and they'll see that they want to go back to a tipping system. Well, you know, what do you think? Well, I think that ninety percent of their customers are tourists, and it's not going to matter to them. You know, they're well. What about the employees? It's going to matter to them. Well, I don't know. I, I mean, so. service might. You're a former waiter. Wouldn't it bother you? I wouldn't work in a place that you couldn't, couldn't get, get tips. tips. I wouldn't work in a no place way. Like that. Nope. I would never ever. I mean, I was a waiter for thirty years. I mean, I, there's just no way, not a chance. So, well, I'll be curious to follow that, see how it, how it pans out for them, because that's pretty radical. That's a radical change of business philosophy but for do a you restaurant think and employees. People will tip anyway. Yeah, I don't know. Well, they're going to be told on the menu. I assume not to. I mean, you know, I mean, have you ever been to a coffee shop in France? You know, where you don't tip. You know, we, the, well, that brings up another issue. Are they going to put it on the menu? Don't tip. Exactly. I mean, how, I mean, because it's customary in the United States to tip. Yeah. So I don't know. So they got to get around that too. 
By the way, everybody, when you come in here, no tips, please. <laughs> this is Ivar's. We do not allow tipping. And then you know you get those in rest- Germany. They don't allow it, right? People don't tip in Germany. I heard they don't. I don't because think they're they always tip the in worst Germany, tippers they when they come to America. Well, and and French yeah. too. It's because they don't tip thing. in their their countries. No, they don't. And the service is so awful. The, in, do in they the, do they provide a, a higher wage for that reason? See, I, I think they probably do because most countries take better care of their uh, citizenry than the United States. Ooh. You know, we have fifteen percent of our working population living in poverty. Yeah, who can't there have should be a higher care. minimum we wage. Get, get fined if we don't get health care. We can't afford. People need to get paid. You have to have a raise in the minimum wage. Has to happen. Well, it's an issue we'll continue to follow and uh, see how it pans out in Seattle. Another issue I'm following closely, and it brings us to our next topic, is the cannabis industry, which uh, is new in Seattle. Yes. Colorado first, Oregon now, is Washington's finally up and running. Yes. First year, right? And, yeah, this is the first year. And, and just like they did with liquor, I think it's got, probably going to be the highest taxation possible mm. for the product. Well, not um, not only taxation is an issue right now. It's how do they keep an eye on what they're doing? How does the government watch what they're doing? And they do so by implementing the strictest camera security regulations in the cannabis industry in America, requiring 45 days of recorded video of the greenhouses where the cannabis is being grown. I believe this is accurate, but to help us understand this situation, which is something that kind of flew under the radar as this industry was developing, is Noah Stokes. He's the CEO and president of Canagard Security, and uh, they're on top of this, and they're tapping into it financially to provide uh, these very intricate and difficult cameras to implement. Noah, welcome to Out on the Town. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. So you're uh, on top of this issue. Uh, fill us in on what's going on. Yeah, so, you know, we, we hear a lot that, that uh, Washington has the strictest regulations, but um, there really isn't another way to properly and adequately regulate the industry other than the way that they've implemented it, 90%. There's about 10% of it that, that's kind of crazy. But, um, you know, one of the things in Washington – that is different than other states is it has to be 24-7 recorded. Uh, Colorado, for instance, is only on motion. Um, And so people think, you know, hey, that's not a big deal. You know, why wouldn't we just do it on motion? Well, on a a camera system, you can draw the motion box that you want recorded, the area of the screen that you want recorded or not recorded. So Washington said we have to record 24-7 on every camera, for that reason. And retain, the, and, and retain the video for 45 days, right? Yeah, you maintain it for 45 days just in case they need to go back and do an investigation based on a report. They That's received. a lot of memory. It's a lot of memory, yeah. Yeah, but today, you know, you can get four terabyte hard drives all day long, and, you know, it adds up for sure. But, you know, you're in the, in the cannabis industry uh, where it's recreational, and there, there will be some expenses um, attached with that. Um but if they want to take an industry that's um, generally been black market and not exactly excited about monitoring and regulation, um, and they really want to see what's going on and take people that weren't always operating uh, uh, in, in the utmost of the law, they have to um, eliminate 
a very easy way for them to say, this side of the room is recorded. When I step to this side of the room, the other side of the room, it's not recorded because I drew the motion box so that it only records half the, half the room. You know, it's as simple as that. Has, so, has Colorado had problems with a lack well, of security? Well, they don't know. Everything that they see is perfect. No. Oh, that's, <laughs> um, that's a good point. But we've had problems here. There's been a few no. places that have been broken into and a bunch of stuff, right? Oh, yeah. Well, it's all on the medical side. I mean, every every state has a, has a medical market that is uh, rampant and completely unregulated or, or mostly unregulated. And so people aren't really robbing and, and attacking the recreational stores that have cameras and alarm systems because in the cannabis industry, quite frankly, if it's medical, um, 90% of the people out there have no camera system and no alarm system in their facility. We get calls all the time, and it's, it's crazy to me. But so, so, so it's mandatory for the recreational growers but not for the medicinal growers? Nope, not one bit. Well, why would, not one no, that is, that's messed up. Well, I would think that's going to change, correct? I mean, they can't... Oh, it has Yeah, it has to. I mean, the whole regulation piece of it for the medical, not just on the security cameras, but just in general for seed-to-sale tracking and um, everything, it, it really has to. If you're going to have regulation or re- recreational marijuana, you can't have a completely unregulated, unregulated um, rampant medical market right next door that ha- they can do whatever they want to and be less expensive and not taxed um, and not have to buy expensive camera systems and expensive tracking systems for their product and expect to compete on a fair level. And you know, you're just setting yourself up for failure. And what what you do is you provide the camera systems. Is that correct? Yeah. So we, we provide a security system. Yeah, absolutely. We do the electronic security, so cameras, access control, alarm, and you know, even the, the required systems that they have, at, on a basic level, someone could install their own camera system that they buy at Costco and put in an alarm system that's the most basic alarm system known to man that can be, you know, the phone line can be cut from the outside of the building, and they can be compliant with that, and the state will say, yes, you have a security system that is compliant with the state. Well, that doesn't mean that they actually have a good security system. So now it's a cash business because they can't bank. Yeah, and that's marijuana. Yeah, that's <laughs> messed up. Is, is, is that actually how you got your name? Canagard is can, short for cannabis. Yeah, cannabis. cannabis yeah. So you strictly yeah, deal with the uh, marijuana uh, growing industry. Well, I own OmniGuard as well, which does homes and businesses here in Portland and, and around the country. Um, and then you know, I had a division that broke off that was Canagard. So it was a natural fit. So you, yeah, you were ahead of the game here. You're really on top of things. Yeah, well, we saw people that were getting turned away. The big nationwide uh, security companies, the ADTs and Stanleys, can't or won't participate in the industry at all. And so people were being forced to use their cousin who works at Radio Shack that they sell cameras to put in this sophisticated camera system for their 20,000-square-foot, you know, grow house because they couldn't find a security provider that would actually work with them. And so we wanted to make people aware that we not only will work with them, uh, that we know the rules and regulations so that they can be compliant as well as actually secure, which is important. How much would it cost uh, for yeah. me to get your security Canagard cameras put in place for a full you know, system that hit, fits the state's regulations? Uh, my, my saying anytime I'm asked that is uh, not, not too little, not too much, you know, just, just the right amount. No, um, it, it varies <laughs> drastically. That's what I say uh, I when I'm buying it. marijuana, too. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it can be, you know, ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 for a retail store or a small grow. 
um, the $250,000 for someone that uh, wants to go beyond, you know, the regulation, the, the, the regulatory compliance, and actually provide real security for these large grows are going to have a lot of cash and a lot of product in them. Wow, man. That's, they do have a lot of cash. There's they, a lot of money in this industry, they, and it's going to get bigger yeah. and, and more. So well, they, uh, they don't have anywhere to put it. And you're, <laughs> you're, you're in the right place at the right time. Noah Stokes, CEO, president of Canagard Security, making sure we know who's doing what in the greenhouses of marijuana growers in the state for the recreational growers and soon probably to be medicinal as well, which isn't regulated, which is surprising. Guard my cannabis. <laughs> Well, I, which which doesn't require the cameras, I should say. Exactly. Yeah. All right, uh, Noah, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Have a great day, guys. All right. Nice talking to you. Well, we'll move on to something more fun after the break. When we come back, we're going to go inside the kitchen to a fantastic restaurant uh, that we tried. Fantastic. Ballard, and it's called Brunswick and Hunt. Next on Out on the Town. <laughs> I love this story. The story of the first distillery in Washington since Prohibition. Kent and Don, a couple of fly fishing buddies, get together and decide to make some hooch. The end result is a spirit as pristine and beautiful as the sport of fly fishing itself. I'm talking about dry fly distilling. Every drop of liquor from local raw grains grown on sustainable farms, producing a delicious richness no others can accomplish. This is true craft, no shortcuts. They just do what they do. It was decided the world needed better spirits, and Kent and Don met the challenge. I'll put it up against any brand, anywhere, anytime. Dry Fly is the truth in alcohol and the definition of craft spirits. Try Dry Fly Vodka, Dry Fly Gin, and Dry Fly Wheat Whiskey. It's simple. It's really good hooch. Made in Spokane, available everywhere. Dry Fly making it clean since 2007. Hey, this is Johnny Boyser. You are listening to Out on the Town. We'll be right back. Let's talk about Lee's Fitch Cabernet from TOG, another great wine from the other guys. Lee's Fitch tells the story of Sonoma. This wine celebrates the famous Lee's Fitch building in Sonoma Square. Take in blackberry, cassis, sandalwood, and herbs, bursting with dark cherry, sweet leather, black currant on the palate, Finish with toasty vanilla oak. Lee's Fitch Cabernet is perfect with pot roast or baked ziti or tandoori lamb and mint chutney. Lee's Fitch is Cabernet. Lee's Fitch is Sonoma in a glass. August Sebastiani is making wines that will continue their family reputation of quality for generations to come. He is building TOG one handshake at a time, stepping back to the early days when all wine companies were family-owned and operated. Go to TOGWines.com and find out what the other guys are doing. You can start by picking up a bottle of Lee's Fitch Cabernet. TOG, laid-back guys, standout wine. Hey, that's pretty good music. Yeah. Who is that? That is a band called The Charming Bastards, and it is my brother. So you can go to YouTube, get Charming Bastards, subscribe to the station. He sounds great. Oh, they're great. They do these really cool covers of sort of unknown 80s songs. 
And I love that one, Boots of Chinese Plastic. I lo- I really like it. And oh. he's, not, he's in Boston. Yeah. 60 years old, you said your brother is? Well... He sounds a lot younger. Yeah, he's about that. Yeah, I think he is. Yeah. You know, he might be one of these guys as a late bloomer and suddenly hits it big. He's always been the most incredible musician. I mean, he's like... It's one of those guys that can pick up any instrument and be proficient in a week. I'm jealous. Anyway. Well, we have a wonderful uh, segment coming up now. Our Inside the Kitchen segment with Brunswick and Hunt. So much fun. A restaurant in Ballard that I read about first in Seattle Magazine. That's how I got the lead. Nice. And I saw the bar in the uh, magazine, the photo of the massive 19th century bar they have. Yep. And it's right down the street on 15th Avenue. It's at 15th and 70th. And I was like, well, I got to go check this place out. So I invited you, of course, my co-host, to join me there. And we caught up with the uh, owner and chef. And we had some cocktails, which, by the way, are great. Mm-hmm. And some food at this fantastic restaurant, Brunswick and Hunt in Ballard. Let's go inside the kitchen now and talk cooking with Shoop and his guest chef. Me and my comrade, uh, Johnny, are at uh, Brunswick and Hunt in uh, Ballard. Uh, we finally ventured over the bridge. Yes. What are you drinking? Lagunitas? Double IPA. Double IPA from Southern California. And I am drinking a very special drink. Yeah, well, you can say it. We're all adults. Yeah, no, the horse neck. Yeah. And And what's in it? Well, it's got cognac, uh, Landy cognac, ginger beer, lemon bitters, and it's on the rocks, and it's delicious. Yeah. I should have got it. But I love the IPA. This is a nice way to start off. It's a hot, sunny day. Give me a beer any day at 5 p.m. So we're here, yeah, at, baby. We're here at the, um, where they have a counter set up for, uh, you can actually see them cook, and it's right in front of you, and they've got tables, and a nice, an incredible bar that stands out, which I saw the photo in uh, the Seattle Magazine, which kind of drew me to the place. And uh, with us right now is uh, Barry uh, Rogel. He's the uh, co-owner, along with the uh, chef, uh, Chef uh, Barry uh, Ru- Rudy Vasquez. Velasquez. Velasquez? Thank you. I always get names wrong. So you open in June. And uh, you chose this neighborhood in Ballard, which is uh, residential parking. So, you know, it's every man for himself when you come here. But I'm sure you get a great neighborhood crowd. It was, yeah, it, it does get a good neighborhood crowd. It was designed as a neighborhood spot. Delancey, Fat Hen, Honoré Bakery. The street's got a really nice gastro, if you want to call it, or foodie-oriented environment. So we felt we'd fit right in. Yeah, I was a little surprised because uh, you walk down the street here. It's on 70th, uh, right off of 15th Avenue. It's really easy to get to. I mean, it's just like five minutes from where we live in Lower Queen Anne and Belltown. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a breeze. I was coming from downtown. I went right up the 99, popped over. But I, but I, I freaked out a little when I saw no parking for the place, but you, I found it on the streets. I'm a little nervous parking in front of people's homes, you know. Do they get angry? No, but, you know, it's an urban environment. So, you know, my other business is up on Capitol Hill. People complain about parking there, and when they complain about parking there, I said, so tell me where the parking lots are in Wallingford. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, you know, it's just a fact of life of living in the city. It's worth it, and a lot of our... Our guests actually live in the neighborhood, so they walk. I would love to have a restaurant down the street from you like this. I would hang out here every day and just give you my credit card and leave it. That would work. We can work something out. You, you must. You, these the, you, the people must love you here in the neighborhood. Now this opened in June, but uh, it's it's it, yeah, it's it's an incredible atmosphere when you walk in. It's very bright. You got huge windows. You got, obviously you invested a lot of money into uh, the renovations of the place. We, it was a top-to-bottom remodel. What was in here uh, when we took the space was a printing uh, shop. So we gutted it and then just started from scratch. 
So. My goodness. Look at the bar. Look at the bottles on the bar. That is a gorgeous bar. All right. Tell me, where did you get the bar? Okay, so the, the story it's this is... big wood. It, it looks like you're walking into a 19th century Western tavern. So it's a saloon bar. It's an 1890, circa 1894 Brunswick bar. It is a San Domingo model back bar and a San Leon model front bar. And you ordered these things out of a catalog back in the day. This particular bar lived its whole life in a tavern in Winlock, Washington. So when the tavern closed down for the last time in Winlock, uh, they put an ad in the, on Craigslist for it, and we went and checked it out, authenticated it, and then spent two years restoring it. So it was a, you're a big bar guy. I mean, this, is a, this was a centerpiece of the restaurant. Yeah, it was always meant to be the centerpiece of a restaurant. And then the, so that's the Brunswick of Brunswick and Hunt, and the Hunt is the big painting, which was done as a bar mural painted by an artist named R.J. Bosons for that particular bar. So the bar and the painting have always been together. The painting dates from 1900. So, Brunswick and Hunt. So, so we're, we're it, took, it took a while to sink in. I, you know, I came in so busy from the, my day, and this place is beautiful. The the huge windows in the front, and uh, I love the kitchen with the uh, open uh, oven there. What do you call that? It's a wood stone. It's a. Oh, it, so what kind of wood do you burn in there? It's it's a, the wood stone is a manufacturer. Actually, you you could we could have gone with a wood fired oven, but we chose the gas for the kind of food that we do. We yeah. thought the gas was the cleaner cleaner fuel because the flavoring is all in the food, not necessarily in the smoke. I got you. Yeah, yeah. So it's just, it's it's not a large uh, restaurant. It's it's all in one room and. Uh, about 49 seats. Yeah, that's, that's, but, you know, in a neighborhood like this, it's, it's good to keep it small. I've noticed that all the other restaurants up and down the street here are very small. Yeah, it's very intimate. I mean, if you want to go to a big place and, you know, have a large room with all kinds of things going on around you, this isn't the experience. The whole idea here is you're a little bit off the beaten path, but what you find is you're in for a nice dining experience. But it is really open, and you don't feel – it doesn't feel small. It just uh, – it's very intimate and also very open. And we're, we're here at 5 p.m. It's, it's, it's quiet now, but it gets, it's a beautiful sunny day, and you said it picks up around 7 p.m. gets pretty busy in here. So uh, since you opened in June, first of all, what was the inspiration for the whole – I mean, what's your background? How did you get to this point? So the – well, I've, I've been in the business a long time. I own the Deluxe Bar and Grill on Capitol Hill, and my partner actually is my brother, Scott, who owns Athenian in the market. So our, Oh, Scott's your brother? Yeah, Scott's my brother. Scott's awesome. So, so the viewpoint of it – I love the Athenian. I always go there. They're a new sponsor of our show, too. There you go. So the viewpoint of, you know, our viewpoint was if we were going to do something, we wanted to be something that had that had legs to it. That wasn't spur of the moment. That wasn't the latest, you know, and the latest and greatest flavor. That's something that we could feel comfortable running for 10, 20 years. And this pretty much fits that bill. Yeah. So you're a veteran restaurateur. It's, the blood flows through your veins every day for many years. Yeah, I'm old. That's one way to put it. Yeah, well, no older than me. So please, let's say you know we still got a lot of years left. You know, it's a neighborhood place, but it's definitely it's a place you want to travel to. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to live in the neighborhood to come and enjoy this. I mean, I don't live in the neighborhood. I want to come here all the time. Yep, we're here every week now. Okay. It's yeah, it's good, but yeah, you know, we built it for the neighborhood, but it's got a wider audience. So Friday and Saturday night, you know, we have guests who come in from literally all over the city, and then we have guests who come in from the east side as well and the north. You know, Shoreline, Richmond Beach, Edmonds, Everett. Oh, yeah, from Shoreline, it's like it's two. It's a hop, skip, and a jump. It's a, it's a straight shot from a number yeah. of places coming in, so it's actually real easy to. Get to. Well, a, ro- a roaring success, obviously. The profits are just flying through the roof with that large vent behind us. 
Yeah, something gets sucked out of there. <laughs> Excellent. Well, next up is our food, and we'll be talking to the chef about that. And uh, Barry Rogel joining us right now on the show here at Brunswick and Hunt in Ballard. We can't wait to eat. Can't wait to eat, as usual. Rudy Velasquez is uh, the chef here at Brunswick and Hunt, and uh, we got our first starter in front of us. Uh, we got a little asparagus, some bread, and a rabbit uh, rillette. Rabbit rillette. Rabbit rillette. Tell me about this plate. All right, we have a rabbit rillette. It's um, so we take the rabbit, toss it with salt, salt cured. Then we slow cook it in fat, shred it. Not just any old fat, duck fat. You said. Yeah, this is rabbit rillette with duck fat, and then um, shred it, multiply it with the fat, and let it set. And that's what you have here with pickled asparagus, stone ground mustard, some frise, tossed with lemon thyme vinaigrette, little breakfast radish, and toast points. Can't wait to eat it. We're going to do it right now. Enjoy. Well, here we go. All right, where are we? You go first. I'm uh, going to take a taste toast point here. Yeah, toast point. I'm going to, now what, this is for me? Yeah, well, I mean, not break the whole thing, you know. Spread it across. What do we got? Break, break it in half and spread it across. This is, uh, yeah. It's like yeah, a bunch of Neanderthals. You can eat in uh, French cuisine. What? No, that's good. No, that's all right. You know, we need a little help sometimes. I want to know where the duck fat is. Well, the duck, it's all inside the thing, right? I know. It's inside the confit. Duck fat makes everything. It's in the confit. It's, duck fat it's makes decadent. everything delicious. It's decadent. Hold on one second. You put the mustard yeah. on, the mustard on Don't top. Don't forget your greens. got to have greens. got to have the greens. With the arugula, he it's said, not just any. No, no, it's not. It's 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 spring spring uh, greens. It's frise. Thank you. All right. You know, you know. Sometimes I need a little help. You know, frise. Right, here we go. Hmm. So let me make a suggestion. Yes, suggest something, please. I, I'm going to suggest the shilling three berry cider. Uh, cider. I'm not really a cider guy, but I'll go for it going to like it. It's going to go very well with the food. That's why I'm here, to try new things, to branch out in my life. You're not a cider guy? No. Are you? I like some ciders. I'm a little finicky about my ciders. <laughs> why are you finicky? Well, you know, I'm a bit of a francophile when it comes to ciders. <laughs> I like the French ciders. I didn't even know anything about ciders until my friend started drinking them in Anchorage, Alaska, because he was tired of, uh, you know, he had to watch what he was drinking. You yeah. drink cider. I was like, what the hell? You're drinking cider? Well, one of the big differences between American cider and European cider is in America, you're, it is against the law to allow the fruit to fall from the tree onto the ground. So you have to pick it. Whereas in France and in Spain, they let the fruit fall and they get this sort of um, different sort of funky yeastiness to, to the cider, which I appreciate. They don't allow, Why don't we allow them to fall to the ground? Unsanitary? Yeah, it's the same reason they force us to wash and chill eggs. It makes them not yeah, taste I read, good. I read that same article. Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah the, England, it's the, same the, eggs, the yeah. eggs in England are better because they don't wash right. them. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's time for America to grow up and mature. It's time for us to eat. Yeah, and stop worrying about dirt because we, we eat more dirt than we know every year. There's nothing wrong with dirt. Yeah, dirt's good. There's nothing wrong with this. Hey, hey. Yeah, this, this uh, rabbit rillette is Awesome. It is. It's awesome. Right. And I'm going to drink some cider right now. Mm. The three berry cider. So it's... Uh, wow, it's very good. What are the three berries? I forget in that one. It's a three berry cider. So, I, you know, I don't want to get this one wrong. It's been a little while, but... Uh, oh, don't worry. You're just on the radio. It's just, that's all. Yeah. 
so it's it's just three local Washington berries, and then oh, it's really? got a little bit of a it's got a little bit of hop to it. And you can taste that in there. A little hop, a little hop to it. A little skip and a hop. Yep, it's quite good. No, it's awesome. It doesn't even taste like a cider to me. I love berries. Must be very healthy for you as well. It's a uh, it's a really good food cider. So that's the idea. Everything is centered around the food. It's good, but it doesn't beat hard liquor. Yeah, I would have rather had a hard liquor no. drink. <laughs> anyway. Um, I, I was lo- I was looking at that. Te- I love tequila. I was looking at the, at the elevated cactus. Elevated cactus is quite good. The other two that are are uh, the most popular are either the Huntsman or the. Well, Bozo. we are in the uh, you know Brunswick and Hunt. Bring on the Huntsman! I feel like I'm in a hunting mood. We've had Rabbit Riet, Apple Cider, and now the Huntsman, which is a uh, old. No. Overholt rye. Old, old Overholt rye. Jägermeister. Oh, my God. Jägermeister. Trambouille bitters. bitters served and up. Yeah. Straight up, no ice. Served up. I don't know about that. Kind of looking for a little chill drink. Anyway, it's experimental day. You know, when we do the inside the kitchen segment, anything goes. Yeah. Here. How are you doing? You feeling good today? Uh, it's been a long day. Yeah, but isn't this helping you? It is helping. Yeah, a nice meal and uh, drinks at uh, Brunswick and Hunt and Ballard. Yeah, it's yeah, good. Good, good. Yeah. You look good. Start to relax. Yeah. Relax. I'm not wearing a my hat today. Yeah, I know. It threw me off a little bit. Oh, well. People on the radio are going to notice, though. Yeah. You really don't have gray hair, though. That's good. Nope. No dye in that guy's hair. Nope. All right. We're going to uh, have a little cocktail and then some more uh, starters and then the main menu here at Brunswick and Hunt on Inside the Kitchen on Out on the Town. Man, we could take a quick break what, what, when we I come back. What, what, we're going to take a quick break, I, and when uh, we come back, we're going to go back <laughs> to Brunswick and hunt. Oh, good, good. And we're going to try uh, some some fiddlehead, some, uh, some delicious cornbread and honey butter, and our Brunswick fried chicken when we return on Out on the Town. If you want Zinfandel, think Lodi. If you want great Zin, get Plungerhead from TOG. Plungerhead Zin is a serious wine with a playful name. Dark, garnet in color with stunning old vine character, blackberry, fresh tobacco, and white peppercorn aromas, blackstrap molasses, toasted walnut, and a bit of mocha cappuccino on the palate. Finish with a dark chocolate and toasty oak. Plungerhead Zinfandel is serious and seriously fun. Blended perfectly to enhance the fruit and bring out a deep spice. August Sebastiani is making wines that will continue their family reputation of quality for generations to come. They are building TOG one handshake at a time. Stepping back to the early days when all wine companies were family owned and operated. Go to TOGWines.com. Find out what the other guys are doing. You can start by picking up a bottle of Plungerhead Zinfandel. T.O.G. Laidback Guys. Standout Wine. You are listening to Seattle's premier entertainment and restaurant talk show. It is out on the town, and we'll be right back. I love this story. The story of the first distillery in Washington since Prohibition. Kent and Don, a couple of fly fishing buddies, get together and decide to make some hooch. The end result is a spirit as pristine and beautiful as the sport of fly fishing itself. I'm talking about dry fly distilling. Every drop of liquor from local raw grains grown on sustainable farms producing a delicious richness no others can accomplish. 
This is true craft, no shortcuts. They just do what they do. It was decided the world needed better spirits, and Kent and Dawn met the challenge. I'll put it up against any brand, anywhere, anytime. Dry Fly is the truth in alcohol and the definition of craft spirits. Try Dry Fly Vodka, Dry Fly Gin, and Dry Fly Wheat Whiskey. It's simple. It's really good hooch. Made in Spokane, available everywhere. Dry Fly, making it clean since 2007. Hey, welcome back to Out on the Town. What are you doing, John? Um, uh, you decide just, to look for something in your backpack as we come back on the air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I can you know, can yeah. you can you just wait? I just a heard a noise come out of it, and I didn't want to. You had a noise come out of your backpack? Yeah. What, you get a rabbit in there or something? Yes. It's a little <laughs> rabbit I'm taking care of. What? All right. What? Let's continue with our Inside I'm the Kitchen hungry. segment. We're tight on time. We're at Brunswick and Hunt in Ballard, where you and I had a ball, and uh, now we're going to get into some real interesting food, starting with Wild Lady Fiddlehead Ferns. All right, my beautiful little huntsman has been served to me in a uh, smaller martini glass. Um, would you call that a martini glass, or is it a... Uh... It's called a martini glass. By the way, we're talking to the uh, bartender. Uh, your name, sir? Eric Conquist. And um, you're obviously the... Uh, the craft spirit specialist here. Tell me about this one. Specialist, the most overrated, overrated term for me. The master bartender. <laughs> master bartender. How do you do? The bar chef. Hardly a chef, but we have a good time. We have yeah. fun. Uh, the inspiration behind this cocktail was when uh, you have a restaurant called the Brunswick and Hunt, and you have this painting, this gi- gigantic painting here uh, called the Hunt painting, uh, in a building called the W. E. Hunt Building. I figured, how do I get the patron saint of hunters on the cocktail menu? Now, the problem with that is Jägermeister, it's a bad word. Most people associate Jägermeister with... I was just saying that. when I said, uh-oh, there's Jägermeister on this. That's a bad time they had in college or or whatnot, and then they've grown past that. So so it's very tricky trying to offer somebody uh, a Jägermeister. Um, But there's been a a resurgence or renaissance in in these herbal spirits, you know, like the... uh, Drinks like Fernet and Amaro's, Ramazzotti, Chartreuse. All these drinks are, are, are very popular once again. And for many folks, including myself, Jägermeister was my my first spirit in that in that, that realm of, of spirits. So Jägermeister was the first one for me. So here we have this resurgence or renaissance and all these herbal spirits. And Jägermeister got bastardized and pushed back on the shelf and said, that's, that's a bad thing for college kids. But I just wanted to kind of bring it around full circle. So this is of your own creation, the Huntsman. Yes, sir. Congratulations. I believe it's a good use of Jägermeister. All right, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it right now. I know, it looks good. I, w- I want to know what you think. I, I just want to... Yeah. It looks like a uh, Manhattan. It's got a uh, orange peel in there. Um, it tastes a little like an, a Manhattan with Jägermeister. It's a little spice in the mm. I got to tell you, that's a fantastic cocktail. Try it, Johnny B. Okay. Johnny B. Very nice. That is very nice. That's an awesome. That is an excellent drink. Oh man, I enjoy and it's straight up. You know, I was a little, you know, chilled and straight, you know, shaken or stirred. Stirred. Wonderfully done. Congratulations, sir. You've you've exceeded my expectations, which is difficult. So we got before us. First of all, the largest muscle I've seen in Washington State, uh, Rudy. Uh, you you really did something special here. 
Yeah, we got pancove mussels. They're steamed in dashi with bacon and topped with Thai basil, mint, and cilantro. So where are the mussels from, by the way? Pankov. They're from Pankov. Sorry, I had this uh, Jägermeister. Are you listening to it? I had this Jägermeister cocktail, which is kicking in. I haven't eaten much. You said it's from Pankov. You don't have to get angry. You took the biggest muscle. You should be freaking happy. Well, you're talking. I'm eating. I think I win. All right. <laughs> Throwing basil on top, though, that's that's a different. So when you it infuses the muscles as you're, you know, eating them. Yeah, it adds a aroma as it steams. I will let you get working on our third one, which is uh, what was the third Holy starter God, we had? This is good. Yeah, was that how was that big one there that you took before I Stop even had a chance to look about at the it? Third one. Let's be in the moment and eat what we got. Well, I'm sorry, you Living know, you muscle in and on the muscles. Yeah, I haven't even had one. You've had the biggest one in the. I'm still going, man. You better get yours while they last. All right, how's it taste? They're f- unbelievable. Yeah, I almost said the thing. You're where not are they from? Penco. <laughs> <laughs> Pencove. These are where is Pencove? Yeah. Where is Pencove there, Mr. Uh, Rudy? Yeah, I know where it is. I do. It's in Pencove. All right, I'm going to start eating. So as we eat these mussels, I'm, I mean, it, it, it's it's not enough for me. I I honestly need to eat like four of these. Yeah. Look, uh, I like the base of the broth. I like good. eating it with the broth. and. Oh, man. I got uh, it. Is this good? No. I, I am I'm these are farm raised mussels from Pencove which we identified as from uh, just north of Seattle. Um Oak Harbor. Thank you. And uh I'm too busy eating. Alright. We'll, we'll we'll get back to eating. <laughs> we'll get back to You know what I like about the mussels is the broth just lets the mussels do the talking. You know, it's not overwhelmed, it's just the the the, the basil with the natural broth it seems that the you know, the mussels themselves. And yeah. I, I really just enjoyed the purity of it. Yeah, you can taste the muscle. It's not about the broth. It's about the muscles, but the broth enhances it. You're absolutely right. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I will come here every week until I die. All right. We're going to make a list. You're going to die soon. <laughs> no, I'm going to live forever. No, no, no and because eat, wait a minute. We eat got my way to my coffin. Eight-ounce burger every week. Uh... Here every week, uh, Steelhead Diner, Steelhead Diner every Athenians. week. Athenians. I think you're over like eight places, so you're going to be have to. I mean, seven days I a week. Want, I'm sorry if I like to eat out. So I want to eat it and, and eat till I it's die. Be, it's going to be like twelve. Oh, Pincho. I said that at Pincho when we had our little mm-hmm. some dishes there um, in Belltown. I mean, I don't know. You're going to have to eat like four meals a day. Why not? That's good. Small, four small meals yeah, a day. That's supposed to act for you. It's supposed, exactly. to be, it's supposed to be better for you. I'm on the healthy diet. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be very expensive. And what coming up? We have fiddleheads. Have you ever fiddlehead? I'm sure I have. I just wild. It's a wild green. Yeah, I just very healthy for you. I'm sure I haven't had it very often. Loaded with vitamin D or something and uh, antioxidants. It, we vitamin D or something. Loaded with vitamin D and antioxidants. Is it vitamin D? Yes. You better be accurate about this. I mean, we're on the radio. I never say anything on the radio that's not inaccurate, other than the fact you're good looking. I don't know. <laughs> All righty then. Um, I'm going to sit over here now. <laughs> All right, here comes the fiddleheads. Look at gorgeously cooked, tight little rings. See how they're tight? They didn't blossom yet. 
Once they start flowering, that's it. They become poisonous. Holy mackerel, and what's that, going on here? We got a lot of crazy stuff going on here. So first we got this, uh, looks like fried chicken in front of me. Fried chicken it is. It's um, fried chicken on a picnic set with potatoes, uh, potato salad and slaw. And what is this thing in the little uh, cast iron mini skillet here with a big chunk of butter on it? Uh, we have our cornbread with honey butter. It's amazing. You're going to love it. How did you cook your fiddleheads? Fiddleheads are sautéed with wild garlic, wild leeks, and uh, finished with extra virgin olive oil and Florida salt. Wild garlic? Yep, they've been foraged. Well, we get all of our uh, foraging through forage and found. All our wild mushrooms, leeks, ramps, fiddleheads, nettles, maple blossoms. Yeah, all the good stuff in life that keeps you living. Thank you, Chef. Thank you. Enjoy. All right, let's... We're going to try the, taking the photo. So I'm going to try the fiddlehead right now. I used to pick fiddleheads in Alaska and cook them myself, but never this tight and beautiful. Mm. They are so good for you. And they're so tasty. Wild garlic. What are you doing? I'm eating them. Mmm. Mmm. I can So is this your first fiddlehead? No, I, I have had these before. They are the best. Hot damn these are much better than the ones you cooked, I bet. No, absolutely not. I think the Alaska fiddleheads are no way. richer in flavor. I'm no sorry. Way. I'm sorry to say. You did not make better fiddleheads than Rudy. Yeah, I did. No, you didn't. Yeah, and I pickled them, too. I, sorry. Just sorry. Just I was a fiddlehead master. I don't believe it. The fiddleheads are... Get back there and cook some fiddleheads and make them better than this. I don't think you can. Well, you never ate my fiddleheads. No, but there's no way they were better than these. Nonetheless, they're on the matter and they're delicious. I like the wild uh, garlic. Oh, my God. They're fantastic. What about a chicken and this? What's going on? That's the cornbread. Which one are you going to have? This one or this one? I'll take the bigger chunk. I'm going to eat the uh, the fried chicken right now. Mmm. Mmm. Wow. It's got like a honey. It's got honey. That is the best fried. Hey, best fried chicken I've ever had. And I'm going to go on the record right now and say it. A light crust, a very moist. It's not overcooked. Very moist, and then it's got that nice little sweet aftertaste. There's a sweetness to the to the uh, crust, which is fantastic. Now I'm gonna uh, just spread the butter over this uh, gorgeous looking cornbread. Chef, uh, what's the what's the deal with the batter on the uh, on the chicken? What'd you do? Batter on the chicken. It's um, a lot of mustard, ground mustard, uh, black mustard seed, ground flour. And then your uh, savory thyme, fresh, and salt, pepper, little uh, onion powder, and granulated garlic. Wow. I didn't realize all that was going on. There's a lot going on in that plate. <laughs> He's a chef. Of course there's a lot going and on. And we got it some... Uh, fantastic. We got some potatoes and coleslaw to go with the uh, the chicken as well. It looks fantastic. Uh, Holy cow. Thank you, chef. Outstanding job. Well, thank you. And then just season... Simply delicious. Outstanding. You could honestly eat this combination every day of the week and be a happy human being till you die. I'm going to have this for dinner every night. <laughs> Outstanding job, Chef. Thanks. Thank you. Here at Brunswick and Hunt, Johnny and uh, Shoop with Inside the Kitchen, one of our better segments ever. Uh-huh. I enjoy it. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Well said, John. That was probably the most articulate thing you've said in, in the show.
Well, yes, because it was clear that I was enjoying the food. Everybody could hear that. It was very articulate. I'm really sold on this place. I, I really want to make it a weekly. I just want to hang out there and try everything on their menu. And it was beautiful. I don't think we got enough into that bar. That bar that he said, that he, when he restored that bar, oh. Brunswick, there's a picture of it on our Facebook, by the way. Right. Brunswick and Hunt. There's plenty more on their main menu Oh yeah, that we'll get to in due time. And uh, really impressive. Very yeah. impressive. Very ni- well, nice. Hey, nice job, guys. Yeah. Nice job, Brunswick guys. and Hunt. And uh, they treated us right, which is good, too. With that said, I would like to jump into my movie review for this week, and uh, surprising, uh, a surprising one for me, because I didn't, I went in not knowing what I was walking into. I like to do that sometimes, and the name of the movie is uh, The Longest Ride. It's an adaptation of uh, Nicholas Sparks. Have you heard of him? No. He's a novelist. He's like a, a male Danielle Steele. Yes. Romance novels with a bit of a Christian message in him. Uh. You know, that's what I understand. And uh, he's an American novelist. He's also a screenwriter and producer. He's published 17 novels and nonfiction books. And he has 11 of his romantic drama novels have been adapted to film like The Notebook. Oh, which is one other one okay, that I yes, saw. Yes, yes, yes. So I go in with this one uh, not realizing any of this. And it starts out with a guy uh, with uh, the stark face and handsome face and carved features. And I'm like, wow, he looks just like Clint Eastwood. Well, come to find out, it was Clint Eastwood's son who got his first leading role, Scott Eastwood. Oh. Looks just like his father from Rawhide when he first started. Really? really I'm uncanny. I guess he was the uh, the product of uh, flight attendant that Clint had uh, met. <laughs> That's what it says on IMDb. <laughs> he plays Luke Collins, the rodeo rider, and uh, Britt Robertson, the uh, gorgeous gal, plays Sophia Danko, uh, his love interest in the movie. Sees him at the rodeo as he gets bucked off, and he tosses his hat to her and says, "You keep it," you know. Uh. And thus they, you know, begin a uh, courtship of sorts. Uh, and then they meet uh, an elderly man who they, re- well, it, from a car accident that they rescued him in, played by Alan Alda as Ira Levinson, who flashbacks to uh, his memories in the hospital through letters from a, a wife uh, that passed away and how they met and how their romance developed. And together, you know, the, the four of them end up bonding and friendship and romance develops and we learn more about this man's history and his interesting uh, marriage to his longtime wife. The message being, you know, you meet the one you love, you marry them, and you stay with them for the rest of your life. That's how love and life is. Yep. It was pretty a simple theme. And how can you go wrong with a rodeo rider with good looks and a gorgeous blonde that he falls in love with? And then Alan Alda is fantastic. He, he's really good. I, I think he's good. He always, uh, he always puts on a good show and yep. uh, does a good job. Uh, the screenplay is by Craig... Bulletin, who adapted it, and it's directed by George Tillman Jr. It's rated PG-13. I got to be honest with you, it was kind of corny. It was kind of you know you know where, but I really got into the the storyline. I, I enjoyed the characters. To me, it was like Fifty Shades of uh, Steak. <laughs> <laughs> A little less, you know. Risque? Yes. More traditional romance, like a Cary Grant type movie. Yes. And I thoroughly enjoyed it, to the point where I'll give it a three-quarter bag of popcorn. There you go. And it's called, I like a good corny movie every yeah, once in a while. It, it, is, it is truly a date movie. All right. So if you, if, 
If you bring your girlfriend and you're not married, by the time you walk out the door, she'll be demanding you get married. <laughs> so, but I could bring my wife. Interesting enough, a couple that I was sitting next to was a young couple. Um, he actually works at the Kandegard. Oh, and no that's kidding. how I got the lead for the interview. Oh, no kidding. And he's moving to Portland. His girlfriend's moving to San Francisco, and they're trying to figure out how they're going to keep the relationship going. And they watched this movie. Maybe they figured it because, out. Because the, the gal in this, uh, that uh, she's, she's looking to move to New York uh-huh. as an, you know, a, a working at an art uh, studio. Mm-hmm. And she has to make a decision between the rodeo rider and her career. Very cool. And the rest you can find out when you go see the movie, which mm-hmm. is out now at Theaters Around Seattle. So with that said, we've got a, few, a couple minutes here for the weekend. Uh, what are you doing? Well, I'm hoping that there will be a soft opening of a brand new restaurant on 2nd Avenue. Would, does that mean we don't get to know what it is? It's called Wakefield. In Bell, uh, Belltown? Yep. It's right next door to the Rendezvous. It's either this week or next. It'll be, it's coming up soon. I'm very excited about it. I assume I, I get invited to this. Um, no? I'm not going to get invited. Of course you are. Right. We do everything together. And um, You want to go? Of course I do, yeah. I know you do. You're going to go. All right. And I uh, just wanted to mention this. Uh, this woman, Anne-Claude Laflave, died at 59 years of age. Yes. She was a master winer. 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 Uh, so, Olivia Laflave, who uh, left oh, you that know company. Her. Well, Olivia Laflave left that company um, in the 90s. But actually, he sued Robert Parker for... Uh, Slander, or what is it called when you write something that's uh, slander or libel? What? Yeah, he sued Robert Parker and won in an undisclosed amount. And Robert Parker was forbidden to review those wines, which are spectacular, by the way. And he was the largest holder of land in Burgundy for quite some time, and may still be. And she was named the best maker of white wines in the world. by Decanter Magazine, the most spectacular Burgundies you could ever have. So we've lost uh, one of the master winemakers. Uh, I'm sure she 15, passed her talents on. 59 years of age, young. young. Yes. Young. Uh, died of cancer. How do I pronounce her name again? Anne-Claude. Leflave. Leflave. Yes. That's very sad. So uh, that does it. I'll be watching the Masters tomorrow. and uh, Who's going to win? Well, uh, is it Spieth? Taylor. Yeah. Jordan Spieth is in the lead right now at minus 16. He's got a uh, six-shot lead, I think, on Phil Mickelson. <laughs> minus 16. Yeah, he set the record. They're going to make... Three-day record. He broke Jack Nicholas's record. Uh, They've got to make that course 21 years of age. 21 years. They've got to make that course tougher. No, well, the thing is, he is statistically the best. He gains the most strokes on putting, so he's the best putter in the world. So that's where he gains. Oh, he, nice. He's able to putt on these hard surfaces and yeah, and, and win. So well, in the first two rounds, I beat Tiger. But so. keep an eye, Tiger is uh, <laughs> Tiger's only. T- I mean, he's ten shots back, but he's in fifth. So really, yeah, he and Roy oh, so he came back. They're in the second to last group tomorrow. Right. There we go. Well, I can't wait. I'll be spending my whole day watching the Masters, and on Tuesday I'm going to see Ariana Grande, twenty-one-year-old pop star. I've been seeing senior citizens like Elton John and Bob Dylan and uh, Herbie Hancock. I'd like to go see a young, a young kid singing some pop music at the Key Arena on Tuesday. So I'll be like the oldest guy in the crowd. Okay. Tell me how you do. I can't wait. It's going to be fun. <laughs> and playing at the Key Arena tonight is a man, a kid by the name of Chris Tomlin, Christian Rock. 
I've met some girls at Starbucks for going all excited about going to it. There we go. Key Arena. There you go. Mixes it up. Yeah. You mean the Coliseum, right? <laughs> Very right. good. Well, I'm Shoe Shepherd. I'm Johnny Boyser. This is Out in the Town, and we'll talk to you next weekend on KKNW. Have a great week.